Good morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Big day for the Guglielmo household today. Today is the day that we drive to, I think it's Medina, New York, right? Over kind of by Buffalo. And we go for a train ride on the Polar Express. My son is so excited. Oh, my goodness. This little boy loves the Polar Express more than anything. I mean, he he recites lines from the Polar Express. Like, his, one of his favorite lines, this ticket is non-transferable. He'll say, so cute, loves Polar Express. Literally, he asked for a Polar Express train set, and um, he asked for a uh, uh, the silver bell from the end of Polar Express for Christmas. That's what he wants. And I guess in Medina, they do this replica polar express experience i don't know i'll probably talk about it on next week's podcast because i haven't gone yet but it's supposed to be like the real deal it's supposed to be they reenact parts of the movie you know the hot chocolate the they'll bring around the first gift of christmas and i guess every kid gets the first gift of christmas so I'm excited for that. That's happening today, actually. And what's even more crazy about this, what's what's an, another milestone for the day is, uh, so Leo, for the first time in his life and the first time in his friend's life, Leo is bringing a friend. So this is a, this is a big, big deal for us today. We are bringing another little boy, uh, one of our neighbors, with us. It's the first time that little boy has ever kind of gone you know, with a friend to do something. And it's the first time that we've ever had someone else's kid with us. I'm nervous. I am. I I admit I'm nervous. Like, I don't, you know, a couple of things. Number one, I'm nervous to have someone else's kid in my hands. If I, you know, if this one hair on his head gets damaged, I'm in, I'm going to get my ass kicked by these people. (laughs) And, and number two, I'm nervous because I figure, what if this kid starts freaking out once he realizes his mom and dad aren't around anymore? We don't know for a fact that he's ready for this. I'm scared. I'll be scared. By the way, I'll be scared, too, when my kid is the one who goes out for the first time with, with somebody else. You know, I, I'm scared. A little nervous for today. But I am excited for the Polar Express thing. Seeing the look on my kid's face when the Polar Express stuff starts to get acted out in front of him. Oh, I'm so excited for that. Uh, Anyway, uh, before I tell you about this episode, it's 64 degrees in Rochester as I record this on Saturday afternoon. I remember a few years ago we had a a 62-degree Christmas Eve, but still 64, very very unseasonable. I was looking up the weather. In Florida right now, it's like 80 degrees. Not that big of a difference. I know you're thinking, yes, there is. 80s beach weather, 64. Not for me. I'm a fat guy. 64 feels like 80 to me. (laughs) Uh, Not that big of a difference. You know? Crazy. Always fascinated by that. I'm always fascinated by the the different climates. Just in the same country, how it can be freezing here and someone's on a beach in Florida. I've never understood that. I mean, I understand it. But, you know, it's just always been something I found interesting. Um, Today, I had my first ever virtual dial-in. That was a first. A dial-in is when we take somebody new, a new customer, and we get their recipe, quote-unquote, dialed in, you know, tweak it to get it exactly right, 
so that we could in the very near future start to produce their recipe and it was virtual because the people are actually based in chicago and it was interesting because you wouldn't think it would be possible to do a virtual dial-in because it's very vital that you be able to taste the product wouldn't you say but no, these people said, hey, let's do it virtually. You know, we'll figure it out. And and we did. We kind of figured it out. I mean, obviously, they haven't tasted it yet. I'm, I'm, I just left work a little while ago. I'm on my way to the UPS store to send them a couple of bottles so they can taste it. So they're, it, it's not perfect. But in general, you know, method, consistency, color, all the, all the, that stuff is very important. We were able to knock it all out virtually. I just I never thought you'd be able to create new recipes virtually. Never thought so. Speaking of virtual, I have a virtual cooking class Monday night for Pampered Chef. I'm a little intimidated. Okay, um, this episode is with my friend Pete Saratori. Pete is my Rochester Rotary father, godfather, I think I'll call him in this episode. He's the guy who recruited me to Rochester Rotary. He is the uh, CEO and president of a company called Rochester Leadworks. He'll explain what they do in just a couple of minutes. He's not necessarily, now Pete's, to me, I could listen to Pete all day. I love Pete. But uh, Pete is not necessarily, you know, you're talking about selling paints for cars here, right? I mean, this is not, I mean, they make jokes about watching paint dry. The, the, the sexiness of the subject matter of making sauce and selling car paint isn't necessarily the sexiest topic in the world. What I wanted to talk to Pete about, though, was sales and the art of doing sales. I always think that's interesting. Now, I want to go into this episode letting you know, I understand there are many people who will not find this interesting, and I get it, and it's okay. That's what doing a podcast is all about. I'm allowed to swing and miss sometimes, and if this is a swing and a miss, I get it. But it's something I'm interested in, and that is how do you get good at sales? If you've ever done sales, it is really, really hard, especially when you're brand new and you're cold calling and whatnot. So how do you go from never sold a thing in your life to a great salesperson. And uh, we'll talk about that with Pete. It's a little bit less about his life story, a little bit more about seriously just the mechanics of sales. My friend Pete Saratori from Rochester Lead Works. By the way, next week, Dr. Sarah from Pinnacle Hill Chiropractic, the feisty Canadian Italian. She will join me next Sunday. Uh, that'll be the Christmas episode. But in the meantime, please enjoy me and my friend Pete. So you're, are, is your title president 
CEO, president, and CEO? Is president, it the same thing? President and CEO. President and CEO. Yeah, they added that CEO part well, to it. I didn't ask for it. Was when business, sometimes businesses will have a president and a CEO. Is that just a way of having two people to do the same? I mean... You got me. I don't know. <laughs> Looks great on a business card, though. I don't know either. I don't know either. <laughs> um, so this is different. Last time I talked to you, it was radio, where I had to do all the... You know, hey, we're on this station, and this is my guest, and I. Inter- this is a podcast now, so people who are listening to this already know who you are and what you do because it's all in the description. Oh, but just yeah. for the purposes of, I'll say, Pete Saratori, president and CEO of Rochester Leadworks. Okay. Real quick, Rochester Leadworks. What do you guys do? Because for the most part, we're going to talk about sales and the art of sales and things like that. But what do you do at Rochester Leadworks? We sell automotive paint and related equipment and supplies to collision shops. We have seven locations, uh, Rochester, Elmira, or Horseheads, Ithaca. Uh, Rochester Auto Color is one of ours on the west side of town, northwest. Paint Masters is on the other side of town. We have our own store called Rochester Lead Automotive. Uh, here locally and then we have another store in Auburn and the last one is in Albany with a warehouse that covers New York State Western Pennsylvania and just hits the edges of some of the other states and you and I are talking just after the Rochester our annual Rochester Downtown Development Corporation joint luncheon we're at the convention center right now it's kind of cool because the convention center has done I think almost, this might even be their first event. I don't think they've done any events in a year and a half. So it's kind of cool to be here, actually. We just heard Adam Bello speak and Malik Evans speak. And um, Rotary, though, is something I'm a part of because of you. You're my Rotary father. I'm proud of that. Or should I call you my godfather? I was going to call you my Rotary daddy. That doesn't sound right. Rotary father. You're my, you're my godfather. That'll work. I'm proud of that. You kind of like recruited me for Rotary, and I couldn't be happier, man. I'm, I'm glad I'm here. Um, okay, so... I want to talk about sales in general because to me, you know, there, I've been around so many different types of sales and something that I don't like that happens all the time. And right before I emailed you to actually do this podcast, I just talked to a young lady that I actually went to high school with who was thinking about changing careers and she was going to go work at a company that I used to work for in sales. And it's a lot of cold calling. And cold calling, can we just talk about cold calling for two seconds, has got to be one of the most difficult and disheartening things I've ever done in my life. Did you ever have a period in time when you were cold calling? Um, Right out of the blocks. Uh, I was fortunate enough when I was put into sales, had no clue what was going on. I just looked at the sales force as a bunch of lazy people because I was doing all the work on the counter, not realizing (laughs) somebody was driving that to me. Uh Uh-huh. And after dealing with customers for several years, they put me in sales. So the first month or two, first thing I did was I talked to my uncle, who was a professional salesman, and he gave me some logic, and I'll get into that a little bit down the road, but what to expect. And I went out and got to play the, hi, I'm Pete from Bargness Paints in Buffalo, and uh, you know who I am. And they're like, no, I don't. Close your eyes. And then I would say, Barkness Paints, Pete speaking. And they're, oh, my God. Oh, They've no known kidding. me for a few years. <laughs> so I got to go out and develop friendships face-to-face. Well, so you're saying before you went out that you were incoming. You were incoming sales or you were just you were answering calls? I was, An order on, the counter, I was on the counter taking phone calls from oh. collision shops or the salespeople. Oh, so you were taking orders? I was taking orders. Oh, I got it. Oh, so and, that's why you felt like you were doing all the work because you're taking the orders. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you don't realize those orders were being fed to you. At the time, you were young. Yeah, and, I yeah. had no respect for the salesman. 
Kevin, <laughs> yeah. because all they're uh, they're out there whining, dining, having all the fun, and we're back here working our tails off. Yeah. Not yeah. realizing it was the salespeople that were really the key to the whole process working. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what was really neat for me was being able to go out and establish with people that I knew. I thought, this sales thing is every bit as easy as I thought it would be. Right. But by the third week, it turned into, okay, the novelty of me walking in as the new kid wore off completely. What's new was what everybody was asking me. And What do you got cooking? What, what, do you, what, what business had, on the books you got next week? What I, are you had bringing no, in? I had absolutely nothing. Yeah. And I uh, called my uncle again and uh, sat down with him and said, Uncle Joe, I just don't even know what to say when they're hitting me with all this stuff. I thought it was just a visit. They'll give me orders. He's like, well, you got to have a plan. You better have a purpose. You're going to look pretty foolish. So at least at the very least, he says, go in there and get yourself something. Even if it's something you know, maybe they don't. When they say what's new, have something in your hand. Just if you go out like that, he goes, you're brand new to them. You don't know what they've seen. What do you think of the salespeople you're replacing? And I said, honestly, I don't think they did a whole heck of a lot because, frankly, the customers are calling in more than the salesmen. And lucky for me, it turned out they were not talking about the new products. So I quietly started grabbing something from the store, going out and showing them and you know i'm showing a painter something a body man would be using i yeah. just had no idea until i figured it out you know what would be pertinent to the person i was speaking with and that that was a breakthrough moment for you when you started to come with something tangible for them to see kind of a, a here's a new thing that you maybe haven't seen before let's talk about this thing well yeah. ironically uh one of our representatives that sold the company uh, he was a factory representative and he had a son coming out of, I believe it was Northwood College. Uh, they're, they're an automotive college, and he's the expert, I thought. They put him with myself to go out to my new customers that I'm just getting to know. So it's the first time I ever worked with somebody, and he came prepared. He had things that were sprayed. He had literature. He had a story to tell, and he was prepared for me because he was told I was the expert. So the two of us non-experts went out thinking the other guy was the expert, and we knocked it dead that day. Mm. And, I mean, to this day, I've got that, that piece that he had made just for nostalgia 40-some years That's later. Great. That's great. But even more ironic, he's my number two where I work because the owner of this warehouse saw the two of us had the same type personalities and the same get-up. Well, he's your number two to this day, you're saying? He is my COO. Wow. Dave Fitzgerald. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. And that's from years and years and years back. The very first time we ever worked with each other or anyone in the field other than ourselves by ourselves. Yeah. Well, let me ask this question because you talked about, you know, three weeks into being in sales and having really nothing to report. You know, manager wants to know what's coming in next week. And you're like, I don't know. Uh, I I remember that my my first job in radio – uh, I've always said that it was doing nights on a country station. It was, but that was two hours of my day. The rest of my day was sales in radio, and it was really, really hard. Um, radio was tough too because it's not even tangible, right? Like you're selling air, like it just right. it comes and it's poof, it's gone. But um, we would have these sales meetings, and the sales meetings would be all the salespeople in a room, and the sales manager would go up there, and quite frankly, it was humiliating. For for me and most of us who just didn't, we didn't have anything coming in. I didn't have anything. 
And sometimes I would, you know, it'd be a little bite here, a little bite there. What do you think is the proper way to conduct a sales meeting? Should it be one-on-ones? Are there group settings? Is, Is that acceptable? Should people be put on a big board in front of everyone else? Is that motivating or is that humiliating or what do you think? Uh, it cost the company, uh, Sherwin-Williams Automotive Division, it cost them me because they used me as a bad example of how to run your territory. Uh, they didn't put my name up, but they put the name of the shops up so it didn't take anybody. So everyone knew who they were talking right. about. So yeah. I had progressed to an automotive sales representative's position. And uh, what they didn't understand is I had a target I was trying to sell paint to a a store I wanted to take it on but I also had the ability to go into the shops so on every other Thursday I would start at 7 30 in the morning in my first shop and my last shop was 9 30 10 o'clock at night but they didn't have anything beyond five o'clock on the reports so I just put all my calls down and they looked at that did the math and said it's impossible to make that many calls in a day what they didn't know is I was hitting a territory we weren't even in and working from 4 30 until 8 39 o'clock at night and yes I did get the jobber uh, he took on about a hundred thousand dollars worth of paint I turned over all the business that I had been taking from him after hours to them as the hook to even listen to me and I went to the next sales meeting and uh saw my report up there and they told everybody there this is an example of what we don't want you to do without mm. even asking me what I was doing mm. and they made a mandate to 400 sales representatives no more than five calls a day mm. which makes absolutely no sense yeah but I would say out of the 400 probably 380 thought this was fantastic because if they were putting down 10 they were lying about five <laughs> so uh, that's why I got very irritated and I yeah. thought if I ever find another place that'll pay a full-on straight commission and I can be in charge of my own destiny my own territory I'm going to do this because these big corporations in a lot of cases they don't get it they don't take the time to ask, and you've got somebody in the big seat that if you really drill down on what their expertise was, it was a connection. They looked great on paper, and they had all the college credentials in the world except for one thing. They didn't know what they were doing in our industry, and I was just roll up my sleeves a lot like you are, and I came from the ground level up. I didn't come from upper crust down. Right. Uh, not that that's a bad way to do it, right. but for me, it, uh, it was easier just to go to my Uncle Joe and ask him a couple pointers, and out I went and so, so figured some you, things you, out. You feel like your breakthrough was, you, you know, obviously busting your ass. I mean, we can talk about we, we work hard, we bust our ass. Uh, to be honest with you, that that is obviously that's a big deal, and that it, that helps. But uh, what about the actual delivery of your sales message? Because, again, I'm going back to when I'm 22 years old and I'm cold calling for a radio station. It was the worst i was the, i was the worst not that job i was just bad most of us are <laughs> yeah i was just i probably sounded like pure desperation i was basically begging people well to buy any advertising they would it's a lot easier when you're walking in with some knowledge and i understood automotive paint mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother podcast for getting to that point of understanding yeah paint because uh, it was very very complicated and continues to be but walking into a shop, when these guys are having problems, you're calling your counter. Yeah. So when I'm walking in and I know somebody that's having a problem, they don't all do it right, and I can see how they're doing things. My angle was I chose to be the technical person, and what I would tell them is I may not have the answer, but I've got numerous ways 
to go and get the right information so you can do this properly. And if it meant I had to go to my uncle's garage at night and learn something so I could show somebody something, that's what I would do. So I built my career the way I masked you know, versus what you were doing. I had products to sell. A razor blade doesn't take a genius. A roll of sandpaper doesn't take a genius to sell. As you get into it, though, there's other types of sandpaper. So if somebody brought something new down the pipeline, tell me why this is better. They would tell me. I would go and test it. And the next week, that's what I would do. Right. If there was something I didn't know, uh, I started taking from bottom up whatever products I could think of. And at the beginning of the week, I didn't know what I was saying about this product. This is something brand new. Here's where it goes. And people start hitting you. Well, what about this? What about that? By Wednesday, there's only so many questions that they can come up with. By Friday, there's nothing I haven't heard before. I went back. I would get all the information. By Friday, I was an expert on the product. And the next Monday, I'd slot in another something. And yeah. you know, so 40 years later, unfortunately, I'm out of sales and went in. You know, This is like my 27th year as president. Being on the firing line forced me to learn products because I had to prepare. Yeah. Being in the presidency without my technical abilities and being able to go in and show somebody something that they weren't familiar with, and with all the technology changes between the equipment and the paint, you could go in, and when you're talking to somebody who's doing it for 20 years, I said, that's great. I'm impressed with your knowledge of the old material, but you're not going to be able to get that next year because that's going away because of the products that are in that and you're talking late 70s 80s 90s things were leaving faster than they were coming in so anything anybody was pitching you on was brand new material so all of a sudden i'm the guy that's got the answers for the old timers they think they've got the answers they're going to just keep doing what they're doing until it runs out and then then they're stuck and things are screwing up and then all of a sudden now there's a reason to have me walking through the door I, you know, I, I think you just kind of made me realize I have a, a little bit of a breakthrough on, on what makes a good salesperson. It's so obvious. It's so, I mean, everything you said obviously makes sense. And what I'm going to say right now, you're going to be like, duh, Paul, you just thought of that. But uh, I, so I've always said relationship building. It is. But the other thing that you just said that I realized I've accidentally done is knowing everything about your product inside and out. That's right. the trick it, for me, anyway. Yeah, it, it was it was being unstumpable, and and I remember spending years at my festivals, selling directly to the public and being asked a thousand questions about the products, and every once in a while I would have that thought where I'd be like, I'm I'm almost unstumpable on my on my products, you know. <laughs> like, and once I realized yeah. that these are all things that I didn't have the light bulb go on and then went out to do this, the light bulb was getting brighter as I was doing this. And then the one day, you know, I'm taking out five products and it dawned on me, it's like, God, five products. That's five questions. One, if, if I go in a shop and every product I'm trying to show here has got one question, that's five questions minimum. Yeah. I just broke it down to one and nobody told me that. You well, know, hold on, the, the president advice now. The president advice for a second. Let's go on the president side. How do you manage to stay that? Because when you're selling it and you're in it, you're in it you're in it you know every inch of every th product you have you become president and now you're steering the ship okay you know every aspect of your business you do you but sometimes maybe possibly and i'm scared to death of this happening it hasn't happened to me yet maybe it doesn't happen maybe you're gonna say 27 years later it hasn't happened you're, you're that good i hope <laughs> i can be that good but i don't is it possible that by 
delegating some things and having departments that are now running themselves, and I'm speaking to the department head for the most, that little tiny details from that department might actually become lost upon me because I'm now distanced from, I'm two layers away from it. Is that a danger? How have you managed to, does it happen or have you managed to not let it happen and how? You've picked a scab, maybe picked a scar open again here. I was horrible at giving up. I was trying to manage way too much. And it came to a breaking point only because, you know, who suffers through all that? It's your family that suffers because you're not there because you're working way too many hours. You're not trusting the people you hired. And it finally got to a point, uh, thank God for my right hand, Dave Fitzgerald, because he stepped right in, took some things off of my plate. And I started realizing when he was doing the job that he was doing a better job of it than I was. And I started thinking about the manager. And at one point before we had all the stores coming, the stores that we purchased were actually customers to us. So being able to do it when it's all in-house, it was nice to see that you give a manager a little more latitude. And uh, they made some pretty darn good decisions, and they enjoyed coming to work because now they could make a difference in their job. And as we started acquiring places, uh, they were customers, now they're employees. So we knew the base of people we were grabbing. And just to come in and say, hey, I respected you when I was in here trying to get you to buy from me. I really love the fact that you guys know what you're doing. So let's just start off by saying, I want you all using your heads. I don't want to have to be here every single week. I need to be out looking for the next acquisition or whatever. But if you've got a problem, I'll be here. It takes me four hours to get to where I need Mm -hmm. to be in Albany anywhere. So uh, we were forced because of the size of the company to go a little different direction with it because I, I was just burning out. So it was trust, trusting your people. Trusting, trusting your people, your having people. the right people. Not, not yeah. that you have that conversation, but if you're a driver, there's a certain amount of decisions they could be making too. Mm-hmm. You know, They're not going to be making a decision on what kind of car to drive, but if there's a problem with a customer, that might be a resource to go and have a conversation with. So we started sharing a little bit more information. As we got bigger, it gets a little tougher because you do start relying on people and balls do drop in between and sometimes it's just one of those things where you just do the best you can to keep the balls from dropping yeah and And that's another thing important to note i think is that businesses of all size do drop balls here and there it happens because i beat myself up when we drop a ball and then i talk to businesses like yours that are much bigger businesses even bigger than yours it sounds like every business drops balls. Uh, you know (laughs) and you try not to and it aggravates me because i start to trust this net that i've created yeah too much and then when something happens you know i quit being the guy that was doing the double check because i trusted it way too much and yeah. shame on me for not doing my part <laughs> because my life got really really easy but in the end did it you know are these major catastrophes you know maybe in my own little mind right. where the customer didn't notice the employees didn't notice but it's you know maybe something that was important and, to me. and sometimes when you i don't know if you notice this either and this is, a, this is almost a crazy thing to say but hear me out Making a tiny mistake can sometimes be good because it gives you the opportunity to show your client how you will react to a mistake. And if you can hit a home run on correcting the mistake, that actually can go a long way because mistakes will happen. We're all human, right? If you make a small mistake with a client and you go, you know, a mile to 
to uh, to fix it for them. Sometimes that lasts, and they remember that. Um, and it actually does more good than it did harm when the the original mistake, right? You're spot on. Yeah. And you know, as you're talking here, you know, you, you never ever let me prepare, and you never prepare. So no, I have nothing. Prepared. It's really kind of kind of neat. But you're opening <laughs> up a couple thoughts, and mm-hmm. uh, frankly. The one thing I loved about where I went to work is we're not curing cancer here. Mm-hmm. We're selling automotive paint, and the worst thing that could happen is something peeled or something didn't match. Yeah. <laughs> and anything in between there, you know, we can help solve. Maybe it's a, a little of this or a little of that to help you get over. If it's something that we did, the whole key to me being better than the other sales guys, if nothing else stood out, if I had a problem with a customer, and maybe it's imagined in his mind, but there's a problem, a lot of people duck and run and avoid, mm-hmm. and I put my face in the blunder immediately mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. fast as I can. And the majority of my salespeople do that. Um, or they'll come to us and ask for some advice and say, Here, here's how I would handle it. Have, so, you ever, have you ever gotten into something just being like, you know what? I'm about to go get my ass kicked. It's time to go get oh, my yeah. ass kicked. Yeah. I'm going to go take the ass kicking. <laughs> yeah, it or, is and, what it is. <laughs> and there are times that I went in and... And kicked an ass. <laughs> was prepared to fire a customer over oh. a misunderstanding that they had and it got to the point when you've got my entire organization shook up mm-hmm. because of the stance you're taking and it's not fair and we're doing the best we can well there comes a point in time where you finally say well if our best isn't as good as you think it should be check our competition out because i know it, in this particular case there was nobody that could give this person the kind of service we were giving them and uh I was all too happy to lay that out in lavender in front of everybody. Normally, you don't do things like that, mm-hmm. but enough's enough. And I, as I'm telling this, if one of my sales guys is listening, he'll know exactly the customer, uh-huh. who it was. You watched it. We lost the business for six months. I never felt better about losing a customer, even though he was appalled. And when the customer came back in six months, I can't say he ever said, I'm sorry, but the size of the checks that he was writing us because then he gave us the other guy's piece as well. Uh, we ended up with a much better customer that then understood that he was treated better than yeah. our largest customer. Did, did he behave better when he came back? He, he, yeah. We became teammates again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it's unfortunate sometimes some people think you have to say, give me that while they're being handed something. It's like, you were getting this anyway. Why do you feel like you have to beat up on me to make something happen that you can see is happening? There's a lot of ego that gets in, in the way sometimes. I, I'm glad you brought up because, as you said, I, I'm not prepared. <laughs> I don't. I have nothing, I'm so glad you brought up firing a client because I, w- I wouldn't have brought that up. Um, it's something that I, I was I was deathly afraid to do. I, I in the last two years, it's ha- it, it's rare. It is rare. It's not something. Thank you do. God for us too. Yeah, it's not something that happens. For for anyone listening to this who's who's thinking like, oh, they fire clients left and right. No, it is rare, and I I think I. I can count on one hand how many I've been in business seven Me years, too. so it's not forever, but I can count on one. I can count on a couple of fingers, to be honest with you. But uh, there was a time, I won't get into the specifics of the story. There was a time when a client who had been difficult uh, was actually at our facility and was starting to be difficult to our employees. And I had been on the road that day. And uh, the employees are calling me saying, Look, she's saying this, she's saying that. And, um, I got on the phone with her and I said, I just, I need you to leave. I'm sorry. You don't owe us a penny. You know, we had already bought raw materials for her. I said, you don't owe us a penny. I'm sorry. 
We'll eat all the cost. Just leave. Just, just please just leave. And she did. And I gained a ton of respect for my team that day. I came back in and they were like, thank you. Because she had been really harassing and abusing them that day. It was crazy. Maybe because I wasn't in the room. I don't know. I probably could have controlled it more. But even since then, too, there's been one or two other instances where somebody's just abusive. You know, the emails that come in are full of actual insults. I've seen personal insults in emails. And I'm going, we're not going to. There's no reason for this. What is this? You know? Thankfully, that's, uh, like you said, it's it's a rare happening when Uh you're working that hard. But it still amazes me that, uh, you know, when you're treating somebody, in this particular instance, in our top five customers, not in what he spends, but if I had to say who takes the majority of our time, he spent the least and he was the biggest pain in my rump. Oh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Because there's a meme that I keep saved on my phone that's it's a the difference between a fifty thousand dollar customer and a five hundred dollar customer. Uh, which I get I get numbers are relative, but you know, for me those are big numbers, right? So the fifty thousand dollar customer, it's like, here's the project, what do you think? Looks good, thanks. Five hundred dollar customer, here's the project, what do you think? Here's my forty seven notes and changes that we need. <laughs> Right, and you know the problem with us is, and it's not a problem. We treat every customer the same. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. try to give them the highest level of service we possibly can. Uh-huh. Sometimes that's just their personality, and they're just those kind of people. So yeah. what can what can you say? You you do the best you absolutely positively can. You hope you don't have too many of those. Yeah. And you you watch who you offer that level of service to, and that's all part of the mistakes you make when you're totally. younger too, because yeah. you, you have to. You really have to be conscious of how much you're willing and how far you're willing to go. And, you know, until you, you become a seasoned salesperson, you know, everything changes when you're, you're cold calling. You don't have much of a territory. Then the territory gets bigger. There's a lot more to manage, but more opportunities start coming your way. And, you know, the numbers are going through the ceiling. And, you know, what I, what I first, Sherwin Williams was a great example. I thought I was a good salesperson until I went there and they actually, had a path here's how many calls we want to see you make here's how we dissect it here's how you plan for what you're going to do and watching what was happening at least you know it was like they always said you're not going to go to florida unless you grab a road map and you're not going to get there unless you have one and when you're out here visiting you know your territory is exploding that's great but it's happening all by accident we want you to be in charge of what you're making happen that was very hard for me but I saw the results of focusing, and it, it the territory tripled. And then the problem came, I could no longer grow at 20 and 25s because now I'm managing a $1.2 million territory, and those customers are buying a lot more from me, which means when they have an issue, I have to stop, drop, get over there, help them solve the problem. And when you're now managing at a different level, you don't have the kind of time you have when you're out there cold calling if they all take you up on it. So, you know, I learned a valuable lesson. It was a great lesson to take over to this company that I've been with since 1986. And I came out of sales in 88 to go inside and uh, as general manager, then VP, and then took over in 1994 as president. But it all came from the sales side of things. And I still, if it's not for the sales side of things, we don't have anything to do because as far as I'm concerned, now I'm part of the catching team. Mm-hmm. You gotta have a good pitcher, and you gotta have a good mm-hmm. team out there. But unless you got a good pitcher, then get that ball across. 
and you need a good catcher, but I mean, you do need a team to be you successful. Yeah, you need the whole team. But right. you take the sales guy out that's not driving it. You you've got not, you don't have a game to play. Yeah, the salesmen keep they're the ones with the. How how do I say this? Relationships. Thank you. Right. I mean, I think I it's, it's the natural. It's the natural segue into the other part of this, which is what I've always thought of was. Uh, I noticed that I became a decent salesperson once I stopped trying so hard to sell things, right? <laughs> and it sounds kind of elementary or it sounds corny or it sounds like something, again, that you would read on a meme somewhere. But as soon as I started just kind of being a a, a, fr- a friend to them or at least an acquaintance, something, you know, something more than just tr- a salesperson and also started trying to solve their problems. How can I actually solve your problem? Well, first you got to know what the problem is. Right, right. And until you get to that point where they're talking with you, you said the friendship thing. If when you let's wind this back to the the cold calling part. If you've got in this this came from my uncle. He goes, don't get frustrated because if you're going cold calling, no, the average is it's going to take you five calls before they're going to spend their first nickel with you or even consider you. So figure out what you can do to be interesting, though, but don't bring your best things in the first five times. And maybe it's not once every week. Maybe it's every other week, but have your plan that far out so that by week five, if they're not doing something with skip them for a couple of weeks and go one last time and say, hey, let me tell you something. He goes, you're going to be surprised how many people will do business with you on mm-hmm. that call. Mm-hmm. And it was uncanny. Sometimes it went on the fourth call. Sometimes it went to the sixth call. But just about the time any other salesman would have given it up, I started to see those results. So that was a great thing for my uncle, for him to to show me. The other thing I would tell you is, like anything else, it takes two years to develop a relationship. This didn't come from a book. This didn't come from anything other than the calluses that I took figuring it out. Think about your wife. Think about your good friends. You get along with people, everything's great, you feel friendly, but when do they start really feeling like they're true friends? Mm-hmm. It's two years, and that customer relationship where I think it flops from I'm the supplier vendor and they're the customer to we're buddies and now we're doing business together, it's all around that two-year mark is what I've found. So I'm very, very patient, and in the meantime, I know I've got to be more professional, so I would go in and prepare and try to find their pain. You know, what is it? There's got to be something in business, and they're going to tell you if you ask the right questions. But if you just go in and start throwing things at them, it's, it's all about the questions. Yeah, and it's not like, here, I've got all these things you can buy. It's more like, what, what, is, what is keeping you up at night right now? And, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, in the back of your head, you're hoping, like, I hope whatever it is is something that I can offer. And, and, then you, and if you can, then, you know, you have a home run. Yeah, it's, you know, it, I can say for anybody that's one of these people that has to, I used to say some of the people that I had to work with found their personalities in reading books about salesmen, and they come, come back trying to mimic everything they just read because it wasn't natural to them. I go to, into some of these courses that I was forced to take, and find out why I was successful by accident because I, I was doing these things, but nobody told yeah. me to do it. It's like, yeah. I was like just tearing myself apart going, yeah. oh my God, this is this is awesome. Now <laughs> I, I guess I really do get it, but I went in there thinking I didn't get it. And the one course that stood out to me more than anything else that made my lights go on was a course called Sandler. It's the Sandler system of selling. It's a question and answering technique 
for somebody that really cares about their customers, it's a great way to get to the yes or the no. You have to find five pieces of interest that they've got. So if it's a frame machine, if it's a new paint line, if it's a spray gun, you don't just go and say, hey, check out this new spray gun. You gotta first of all find out if they're actually pulling the trigger. And after going through that course, um, actually I found out somebody that we were working with was a trainer and he was selling his frame equipment. When I found out he was a trainer, I set up two weeks of work and I traveled with him and we trained people on how to sell frame equipment. But of course, being a tra trainer for Sandler, he broke it down and I became a Sandler expert for free. I didn't have to pay for the course. But it put me on a path where at least I knew where I was in the sale, especially when it's new people. And if it was people that really weren't interested, it showed me how to get there to figure that out without being insulting to them or one to fold your books and not leave information behind. So you still had an opportunity maybe down the road. Yeah. But it, it was that was remarkable for me. And then, like everything else, I cherry picked a few things out of it. And uh, yeah, how, how do you deal with how do you deal with the the sale that you want? But can't get, at least right now. Patience. Right? Pa patience, right? But how do you manage how often you're going to touch? So you've got, you know, you've got this potential customer. You've got this person. They're buying a ton of paint, but they're not buying it from you right now. Boy, you'd love to have them as a client, right? I mean, I've, I've got that. I'm sure you've got that right now. Boy, you'd love to have them as a client. Dorschel. How? New look collision. Yeah, yeah. Gates Automotive. There we go. New look. Well, Todd sold, didn't he? he Son did. of a gun. Anyway. How do you court them in a way that isn't going to be overly aggressive? You're not going to be annoying. How do you court somebody that you really want to get as a client? Uh, what's the respectful way to do that? That's a hard one to balance sometimes. You bump into them at different things. Yeah. I was bumping into the new look people all over the place. I would bump into Rick Dorschel at a couple different events here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, I realized that there was no way without costing us a small fortune that we'd be able to break down the relationship. And as it turned out, Paint Masters on the other side of town, which I own, they had all the customers. And uh, unfortunately, the uh, owner uh, passed from cancer, but before he did, he came to us and asked us if we would be interested in purchasing his business. And Well, that's certainly a way to do it, huh? Well, so we, <laughs> it was the easier way to do it, but it was... You know, here's here's a group of people that were doing business with our warehouse, so we stayed away from his customers. Uh, the dirty way to do it would be wait until they were weakened because of that and look like a complete idiot to anybody because you're going after the widow's business or do the right thing, step up, purchase the company. And it's funny how things worked out because we were getting relationships, but had they come to me and said they wanted to do business with us, that would have been very mm. difficult for me because Paymasters was supporting our warehouse at the time, and I would have had a backstab a customer, which I couldn't have done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if the way it played out, it just worked out great. Be careful what you wish for. Sometimes something just happens, and when we bought them in 2004, all those customers I mentioned we inherited, and every one of them stayed with us through, through all this. So, um, Let's talk about some of the classic objections of sales. Right. What? Are, what? What's number one is I'm not interested. Right. I, uh, I can't afford it. Oh, no, too expensive. Let's go with too expensive. Uh, your product. It's a client. You, you're trying to make the sale, and their objection is it's too expensive. It depends on what you're selling, but it's like compared to what? <laughs> really? I mean, it's if it's a frame machine and it's thirty-five thousand dollars, too expensive. Well, how are, are you doing frame repair right now? 
it's understanding that piece and where it fits into their business. And if you know by buying this piece of frame equipment, they're going to be able to do jobs that are now between eighteen and thirty-five thousand, and not have to farm them out and pay somebody else to do it. Now let's let's talk about supplements. So it's a math equation. Let me put the numbers down here for you. Me, yeah, you have yeah. to spend these thirty-five thousand dollars. But look, it, it looks like according to this, in eight months, you, you've just made back every penny you sold, and from that point on. You, you know you're profiting right yeah and if, yeah. It's, if it's too much it's like well first you got to find out if, if there's a need and if you're in that discussion and it's gone this far there had to be a need well if that's too expensive i've got some down at this level or i've got some that are that's even more expensive where are you comfortable mm -hmm. where, it's like buying a car mm -hmm. you know you want to buy a lexus or you want to buy you know the lowest end general motors product that's not electric you know what, what's your price range it's knowing that up front before you get into this yeah. this i throw you throw i throw you throw it's understanding what they're looking for and it's uh, you know pick a pick an item that you're trying to sell yeah what are, what are the other key object what, what's another big objective like sales 101 objectives you know what i mean uh let me think hold on well I, price is always well, a thing if you're walking in you're going to see somebody on a regular basis yeah and i'm your sales guy i can tell you what I tell my sales guys, I'm old enough to remember when milkmen used to deliver the milk. <laughs> and if we were out, we knew at 8 o'clock we'd have nice cold milk coming. But if that guy came at 8.30, it blew it because we, we were gone. Be the milkman that's always on time. Oh, if yeah. that's the deal, that's what you do, yeah. do it that way. Yeah. If you can't do it, don't even say that's what you're going to do. Uh, uh, the other thing is, you know, you got to be trustworthy and all, all these other things. But... You know, frankly, I told a couple of my guys, I got one of the best sales guys going. And great, except he sells a lot of equipment. And sometimes somebody in Plattsburgh's got a problem and somebody in Rochester's got a problem same day. Somebody's going to get disappointed. That's a concern. So say what you do, do what you say, stay within the parameters. I still remember the TV repair guy when I was 10 years old that had to show up and change a tube. He was going to be there on a Monday. And there were certain programs we wanted to watch on a Monday when you're 10. And he didn't end up showing up until Friday. And by the time he got in, I was so mad at him, I couldn't even look at the guy. And here I am, 50, okay, 54 years later, <laughs> look at, still remembering that TV repair guy because the whole scene is playing out in my head. Yeah, yeah. a little 10-year-old kid that just, you know, I was thrilled he was there. But at the same time, he might have been the smartest guy on earth, but... I hope there's somebody else on earth that mom or dad can call to get in here because I never forgot the guy's horrible service. So it's still, you just don't make a promise that you can't keep, and that'll that'll be the biggest problem. But those are two, two that, things that are so are important. Good. Those are good nuggets. I probably didn't answer the question you just no, asked. No, but those are still good nuggets. I mean, yeah, don't, you know, over-promise and under-deliver is a big thing that I think, yeah. you know, young young salespeople do a lot the overpromise, the under i've certainly done it before overpromised and under delivered and, and you learn that lesson the hard way because i think you and then you look back and you cringe and you go, oh my god i still remember ones from 15 years but again from early radio where it was we're gonna do this and then we're not <laughs> you know um okay you before we started this interview you were kind enough to compliment an article in the rbj uh, from this week that it was I had written on behalf of another organization I'm involved with Big Brothers Big Sisters 
I had to do with mentoring. And in this case, it was an article about a letter that I wrote about being a mentee, not a mentor, but a mentee, and how much my mentors have meant to me. But in the article, I start off by talking about imposter syndrome and saying that I don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> you told me that you still have that to this day a little bit, just a little tinge of it in the background? Oh, yeah, it's, it's always there. <laughs> I, I get in a room amongst some people that are, are impressing me and it blows me away at how many very, very smart people uh -huh. are still left in our industry and somehow I don't feel like I'm part of that group, <laughs> you know? Well, the fake it till you make it thing is, it's you know, it's interesting. Let me tell you a story. Have you ever heard of Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos thing? Can't say she, She's on trial right now because she faked it till she made it. She started a, a business and this is this was one of those um, Silicon Valley businesses she started a, a business called theranos which was a little lab that was going to be a blood lab where one prick of a finger would give just a drop of blood to this little box that would then run a hundred and some blood tests but it turns out it was all bullshit it turns out the thing didn't work it ran like 12 tests and they were constantly kind of hiding that they were always saying that it could run these 120 tests but anytime they had to demo it to potential investors there was always some smoke and mirrors where it was like we're going to collect the blood ahead of time and they were really defrauding people because they were then the, you know some scientists would take it run the test on other machines and then bring back all these results and say look here's all your results so she's now on trial for it, actually, for defrauding. But her case, her entire defense, is based on fake it till you make it. It's based on her saying, look, tons of companies are still working out the kinks in their products before they go to market, or at least, or even while they're still on market, they're working out kinks to their products. I, I thought it was an interesting thing. Now, she unfortunately did a couple of really bad things. First of all, she, she was in the medical business. So, you know, you said we're not curing cancer, you and I. Well, she was claiming to. <laughs> so that was like a crime, right? Like she was claiming to not necessarily cure cancer, but she was claiming to be able to diagnose it essentially because some of her blood tests were able to detect um, signals for that. So that was a big time problem what she was doing. The other thing that she had done was she rolled it out to the public when it was not ready to be rolled out to the public. Well, that, that's, that's not faking it till you make it. I mean, I, that, well, that's why she's on trial. I mean, right. there's a difference I mean, in what she that, did. That's lying. That's, uh, you yeah. know, there's no integrity there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. all, all the, everything I'm talking about is based on right. you, you legal. Some, <laughs> it's legal. Yeah. But, but the point is her entire defense is based on, Hey, all CEOs or founders fake it till they make it. And I just find it, I've been following this trial. I, I watch some coverage of it every single day there's a like an accompanying podcast that goes along with it and it's just really fascinating to me that you know that a that a founder could get like is looking at prison time but again what she did was clearly across any line of fake it till you make it but to bring it back to our conversation the feeling of fake it till you make it i don't think it ever goes away and and i think you're you you scare me because i have it still and I don't think it's going away, and you're here to tell me it's not, aren't you? I was just at a meeting last week, and I, <laughs> while I was talking, I was thinking, I said, I hope this doesn't sound stupid. And you just <laughs> yeah. you don't know how you're coming across to somebody else. That's why that article, I had a laugh, because, you know, especially when you get someone that's very, very articulate, I started getting self-conscious about maybe my lack of uh, 
English yeah, me too. <laughs> abilities, you yeah, know. And, me too. You know, I don't have a very good vocabulary. I, I agree. Yeah, so yeah. I, somebody that does, I'm, you know, I, I, think, I see him he's writing something down. He's writing down, yeah, and he said this wrong, and that word shouldn't be, you know. It, yeah. It's just, it's the things that make you self-conscious about yourself. But the reality is, I always came at this game with a lot of passion, uh, the drive and the commitment, and it's all about the customer. It's trying to find what their pain was. It's always from a good place. It's never trying to fool them about something because our, our rule here is I'm not going to take somebody and sell them something that I've got and bring them down. And if they've got a good system or a process to fix a car, just like with you, you're not going to go and change tomato companies when you know you've got the best of the best. And if somebody comes in and says they can save 50%, if you decided to change to fatten your wallet and you're telling all your customers, no, this stuff, I, I'm not even going to tell them I'm making the change. Well, now, you, now you're defrauding your customer. And our, our biggest thing is equal to or better than. If we're going to go backwards in price, it's usually they want to do that, and we would rather point out why it's going to cost them money to spend less. And here's the result of that. But uh, the faking until you make it, it's just I've got in situations, like I said, where you just look around that table and you see a bunch of people that you have a lot of respect for, and you just go, wow, this many years. I, I thought it would feel different, and it still yeah. feels like it was 30 years ago, which is why I still feel like I'm in my 30s. I should say, just so that I don't look terribly bad, in the <laughs> years that we've been making our sauce, we have changed suppliers on a couple of ingredients, but I don't. we've never gone backwards. It's never been a shittier version of that ingredient, in my well, opinion, at least. Right. It's always been either the same or better, right. in my opinion. Um, so I should say that. I should say it's not like we've never done that. I knew it. But but it was – but, you know, like I said, I think it was an improvement when we've done it. It was an improvement in many right. ways. Coming so. from a good place, not yes. trying to defraud you. Yes, not a, not, yeah, not a situation yeah. where it's like here. And then, you know, because I uh, think that does happen sometimes. I think I've seen a little bit of a here's the brick of gold. Are you going to buy it? Oh, you are going to buy it? Great. We'll have 100 of these. And then what goes up? But 100 bricks of silver. You know, right? Yeah, I think that happens. Pete, thanks for doing this, man. No, appreciate, appreciate you. Did asking I miss me? anything? Anything you no, want to get in? I think we uh, covered an awful lot of ground. Okay, all right. Cool. Do, would you like to buy a jar of sauce for me right now? I've got three at home. <laughs> I make my own. I'm having a problem getting to them, <laughs> but I will. No, just kidding. I thought it would be funny to end with. With so anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate. I was just gonna say that right before I hit the off. You just. We're on the same wavelength right there. I was going to thank you for being a friend. I was going to thank you not only for conversations like this, not only for Rotary, but thank you for actually being a friend. You call. I remember you called me in the pandemic, early in the pandemic, and kind of gave me a heads up on, you know, like I think it was tin at the time, right? It was like tin was going to be hard to find, and you were like, look, buy lids. Buy lids. They're going to be hard to find. And sure enough, man. I remember being on the phone in last, probably October, October of 2020, and I needed caps. I'm calling, you know, distributor A, distributor B, distributor C, looking for these caps. Nobody's got them. So I called the manufacturer. manufacturer says we have a minimum order of, uh, it, was, it wasn't even all that big of a minimum. I think it was maybe a three-pallet minimum, right? And, but it was more than I would have bought. But I said, yeah, I'll take them. I got it. At this point, I got to have these caps, right? And I just remember the guy going, uh, uh, great. Um, so we're looking at late March. You know, it was like six months away. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, I need these Friday. Sorry. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but wow. You, yeah. Well, we, 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 we managed to wiggle our way 
through that one. I mean, things got creative. I don't know about in your industry, but in our industry, things got creative in terms of when it came to caps. If you took a black cap and you loved, you had a black cap and that was what you always used, there was a couple situations where, eh, do you want a white cap or do you not want product? Because it's going to have to be a white cap. And that even went up. Uh, Heinz, I, this was a famous one from, and again, this is over a year ago at this point, but Heinz last fall, fall of 2020, put some different caps on to something than they normally would. And that's Heinz. That is one of the biggest food companies in the world using a different cap than they would normally use because they just, what, you're not going to, what are you going to not have product? You know? Anyway. Batting down the hatches. Yeah. More to come. Yeah. see it. It's scary. Yeah. No, I know. We were, we were talking off, off air a little bit about it. But Pete, thank you so much, man. Thanks for being a friend. Thank you.